Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. You can open your Bibles to that uh, passage of scripture in Matthew. Um, but most of the scripture this morning uh, is, will be on the slides, okay, in front uh, on the screens. But I was thinking about a couple of things. One, so there is this fish. I've never heard of it, right? And anything you talk about fish, I'm ready, man. I'm going to get on a boat and go fishing, right? So the gold-saddled goatfish is a small fish native to Hawaiian reefs with a distinctive coloring. I, I did not know this. In the past few years, divers in Hawaii have come across a fascinating phenomenon. True story. During their regular dives, they've begun to notice a large fish with the same brilliant colors as the gold saddle goatfish. But upon closer inspection, the divers realized this was not one large fish, but in fact a school of gold saddle fish swimming like one imposingly large fish, not to be trifled with. It turns out when the gold saddle fish feels threatened, they join together, unified in fish formation, to appear much larger. The gold saddle goatfish provides an important lesson for those facing threats. Do we turn inward, trusting only ourselves? I do, often. Or do we huddle up with our neighbors, our friends, or even, Lord forbid, our churches to face the oncoming storm? be it a global pandemic or something of a more local or even personal variety? Do we trust one another like the gold gold saddle goatfish trust each other? As a matter of fact, some of you who appreciate the arts, you know who Leonard Bernstein is, right? Please don't tell me I'm that old. You know who Leonard Bernstein is, celebrated orchestra conductor. They said, they asked him a question, what was the hardest instrument to play? He replied without hesitation, second fiddle. He said, I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet if no one plays second, we have no harmony. Man, I just thought that was... Great word on unity there. So this week in sports camp, our theme was unity. I'm talking to 12 and 13 year old, well, 10 to 13 year old, 14 year old boys and girls about unity, right? And I'm thinking, how do we do this? So we talk about unity on your football team, unity on your basketball team. I said, guys, name a player who demonstrates, who demonstrates unity on their NBA team or college. By the way, these kids, man, they do not love college basketball like they ought to. They, they do not. We have a whole, we have a whole new job. Uh, so, and so they give me some answers. And unlike last week, I'm not going to share them with you because I got in trouble last week because I also asked the kids, who are some NBA players who you think who don't display unity in their style of play? And so I shared some of those answers with you before I realized that I'm always weekly being recorded in my sermons talking about NBA players with whom I agree with my kids don't display unity on their basketball teams, right? 
Unity wins championships, right? Hard work requires unity. Hard work, uh, unity requires humility, right? So we talk about these things all week long. Matter of fact, our other themes came into play, right? Because we had to talk about forgiveness if we're going to have unity. We had to talk about humility if we're going to have unity. So here we are. We're talking about unity. Community. Community, as a matter of fact, in the next slide, we see community right off the bat in the Trinity, right? Number one. So three points in a poem today. You really are getting it, okay? You already got the poem. Here come the three points. So before I share this first scripture with you, we see unity in the Trinity in the book of Genesis when God is creating the universe. It says in the beginning, God created. And we know that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. We can fast forward to the Gospel of John and say that Jesus was with God in the beginning. And we see, we see the beauty of the Trinity when God says in Genesis 1:26 and through 1:28, let us, Elohim, let us create man in our image. We see the beauty of the Trinity, but we also see something else in this next slide, uh, the next two slides. Um, listen to this. We see in Matthew, and we're going to come back to this, but Jesus says, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Now, we're going to cross over here because, but we're not, I'm not going to speed ahead, but we see this unity between the Father and the Son here. This is biblical. This is theology. I had a kid on the court ask me about God uh, the other day, and so we got into this whole discussion about the unity of the Trinity with a 14-year-old boy, with a bunch of other 14, 13-year-old boys and girls sitting there, and we got into a discussion about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How do we believe in, why do we believe in one God? And we talk about the Father, the Son. Well, didn't God create the Son? Man, we got into it, right? <laughs> so it's a beautiful thing, right? Right out in the, in the corner of the basketball court. We got into it. So, but what we see here, we're going to go back and forth here. I know that because you're going to see some purpose, purposes of unity. You're going to see community in the Trinity, as a matter of fact, in the next verse in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We see even some of the role of the Father, the role of the Son, some, not all, not completely, of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit here, right? We hear about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus extends grace to us in our salvation by being our Savior. The love of God, for God loved, so loved the world. And we see the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Jesus saying, I'm not going to leave you here alone, but I'm going to give you my Spirit who will be with you. So we see the unity of the Trinity here in the world. You might say, well, Pastor, that's pretty basic. I'm going to take a nap till you finish. But reinforcing theology, you will act on what you believe. You will act, I will act on what I believe. And, and that's why I think anytime we see anything having to do with the nature and character of God, we will talk about it. Even when I've had four and a half cups of coffee before church. So, next slide. For in him, this is beautiful, in Colossians, I'm always tempted to turn there and give you a whole bunch and I'm not going to turn on the fire hose this morning. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Speaking of Jesus Christ. 
Some of my friends ask me, Pastor, and I'll be careful not to get into some things or cause you any concern about my personal theology, but I don't have a hard time talking to the Father, talking to the Son, and talking to the Holy Spirit all in one prayer. I'm just like, oh God, thank you so much for today. Oh Jesus, it's a beautiful day. Holy Spirit, am I acting right today? I will just, I move easily in my prayer life and in my thought life between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it causes you some concern about modalism or what I really believe. You can buy me lunch one day this week and we'll talk about it. But, but community in the Trinity, this foundation, this theological foundation sets a course for how I will behave in my community as well. So number two, we're going to see community in the gospel. We see community in the Trinity, but we also see community in the gospel. I won't reread these verses a third time, but you see... The purpose for which Jesus is speaking, one of the purposes for which he is speaking to the Father. By the way, um, this is really the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17, for those of you who are wondering. When Jesus is having this conversation with God, but he says, listen, I'm not asking on behalf of these alone. You know, my disciples and, and those who already believe. But for those who believe in me through their word. So one of the purposes of the unity of the Trinity we're going, or is, is the furthering of the gospel. The furthering of the gospel. So one of the purposes of unity and community is that people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Matter of fact, he says, because we want them to be one. So people who come to God, Jesus speaking to the Father, we want them to be in unity with us through salvation. He says, I, I'm, we need this unity, he says. This gospel is how people will reunite with Jesus, their Savior. They will reunite with God, their Father, who loves them, from whom we have been separated until salvation. He says, just like you and I are, so that they may be in us, so that. So here's a purpose statement here at the end of this verse. So that the world may believe that you sent me. The world, on looking, the world will look at the church. They will look at people who call themselves Christ followers, little Christ Christians. They will look at you and they will look at me. Jesus wants them to see unity with him in your life and my life. I've never taken that verse to that degree before in my thought process, but we demonstrate unity and community the gospel, remember, the gospel doesn't just save us. The gospel is relevant in my day-to-day -day life. The gospel doesn't just save you. It is relevant in your day-to-day -day life. People are going to watch you and watch me, and they're going to determine whether we really believe what we say we believe. Jesus wants them to see unity through the gospel. All right, number three. Number three today, the unity produces community. The unity, this unity of the gospel, this unity between you and me, followers of Jesus Christ, produces community. Here's what I ask the boys all week, the boys and girls, excuse me, the ladies as well. We have ladies playing basketball, and they are rocking it this week, this month. Yay. Yes. Yes, they are. This, this unity in our community, I say to the kids, how can you be an agent of unity in your home? Oh, pastor, by doing what my mom says. I said, did you do that today? No, but I, <laughs> but I, know, but I know that's the answer. 
I said, so, so how, how can you be an agent of unity in your school? By listening to the teacher, by doing my homework, by being quiet and, oh, they know all the answers, right? How do you want people to see, see Jesus in you on your sports team? Now, and it, gets, it does get good here because, you know, they're thinking about it and they're saying, by not making fun of somebody when they mess up. By encouraging my teammate when they mess up. Or, or when they don't do as well as they want to, right? We'll even say it better, right? By, um, um, by doing all my drills, by listening to the coach, by, by being a friend to someone on the team who doesn't have a lot of friends yet. So I said, what is the result? Because you're competitors, right? Yeah, pastor, we want to win. So what is the result then? We talked about humility. We talked about forgiveness. Now we're talking about the unity. What is the result of that? Pastor, we'll win more games. I said, yes, you will. Because you're, it's not the best teams that win all the championships. It's the teams that play together in unity that win more championships. Don't get me started. I'll get into some little NBA history, too. <laughs> I'm going to behave myself a little bit. I'll start giving you some old school examples and you'll all be Googling during church because you don't know who those guys are anymore. So, so the boys, they get it, right? But we see this in th three places, right? We see community or unity in the church. So next slide. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. One of the really short Psalms, not going into it here. You say, Pastor, be careful when you pluck out those, those nice sounds. I am, I'm being careful. But there is a certain, I look forward to coming to church here on Sunday mornings. There is a certain amount of unity here that makes me feel safe. Um, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm just saying it. This is just Charlie, right? Um, I like being here. When people come to our church, they may be guests for the first time, maybe even guests for the second time, but, but, but right away they should sense, if they're, if they're a follower of Jesus Christ or even not, they should sense some type of community or unity here. It is good, it is pleasant, it is pleasing, it is good for your soul and for mine. Man, if we don't have it here in the church, how can we expect other people to have it out in the community and in our workplace and in our schools? So then Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, he says this, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, I beg you, I beseech you, I implore you. There is a sense of urgency in Paul's voice when he uses this word, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Listen, listen, there's a direct connection here and the, and, and the kids know because we kind of all stumbled on this together that if we're going to have unity, guess what? I'm going to have to set self aside often, not once in a while, not just when the coach is looking or not just when I'm up in front of the church so you all know I can do it but often that the set self aside. How do I know that? Because humility, gentleness, patience, won't even talk about that one, right? Showing true tolerance, we won't go there yet, for one another in love. Humility, love, patience, gentleness. Look, guys, I have to set self aside in order to, to, to practice those things in my relationship with you. I have to self self set self aside that's tough that's tough i don't always do it well sometimes i could say ask diane but i'm not saying that this morning <laughs> this week she might really tell you 
No, seriously. Uh, so in the church, guys, it's so important. Uh, listen to Acts 2. I love Acts chapter 2. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. This passage goes on to say that even those who had lots, even those who had lots would, would sell some of their abundance in order to help those who were in need. So they were in church, they were in each other's homes, they were eating dinner together, they were, they were taking communion together, and they were taking in the word and growing in their faith together. There was unity in the early church. In that passage, you know, about 3,000 people got saved one day. I'd be thrilled if 3,000 people in East Baltimore got saved one day. I just want to be hanging around when it happens, amen? I know you do too. And we're going to talk about that as well because, because we see community. We talk about community in the church, right? And you might say, hey, pastor, that's a no-brainer. But listen, we even talked last week about some of the silliest fights we ever heard about some of the silliest drama and silliest fights we ever heard about it taking place in church. Taking place, oh my goodness. I'm not even going to start telling any because I don't want to tell on the church. Not today. Some of the silliest fights I've ever heard taking place. Church, church is splitting because somebody didn't like somebody else being in charge of what color the carpet was going to be in the sanctuary. Oh my. Oh my. Someone getting mad and almost getting to fisticuffs because you sat in their family's row when you came into church. And you should know better. Oh my. I said I wasn't going to do that. So the Apostle Paul, again, he says to the Corinthian church, right? Now, look, y'all know the Corinthian church was wild, right? Corinthian church could have been on Green Mount Avenue, right? Now, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete. That's mature, mature in the same mind and in the same judgment. He said, look, y'all stop fussing. Now, he talked about all the sin that was going on in the church, right? He talked about all kinds of wild stuff. And, and 1 Corinthians would be a great book to preach, man. We could talk about Christians getting liquored up, Christians having inappropriate relationships with other people in a church. Y'all want to talk about some drama? We, we can get it out there now. 1 Corinthians is the book. The Bible is not boring. But he says, Paul says, stop fussing. Stop fussing. Why? Because the world is looking at you. We have to have unity in our church. We have to have unity in the church. And then to sum it all up, all of you be harmonious. That word just sounds too nice to be true, doesn't it? All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil. Now look, in our neighborhood, you tell that to some 14-year-old kids every day in sports camp. I can't even repeat, I can't even repeat some of it. it I know, because in my flesh it entertains me and I want to share it with you, but I'm not. The kids, so when a beef starts in our neighborhood, this is why we teach behavior in graffiti camps. We don't do discipline. We don't raise our voices. We don't holler at kids, to the best of our ability. We teach behavior. Why? Because we've seen it happen. A little beef on a basketball court turns into cussing, turns into fisticuffs. Somebody's going to lose a fight. Then I'm going to get my people and I'm gonna cut you, I'm gonna shoot you. Uh, I know I'm so tempted to, and I'm not, I'm not. And then the other, and then the other kid says, well, you try, because I'm gonna go get, look, sometimes these playground beefs, 
they really two days later three days later a week later a month later somebody gets shot and killed on the playground and everybody in baltimore city is wondering why why young people are shooting each other that's why so he says stop y'all he says stop we've got to have community in our church so so i'm teaching that to teach we're teaching that to young kids in sports camp why because for some kid that's going to stick and instead of beefing back that kid's just going to take a step back humble himself and walk away and believe and believe that some that God is building a character in him because Co- coach Malcolm told him that that was the better thing to do because our, Miss Erica or Miss Sarah challenged them to do this thing that could save someone's life even their own that's why we teach behavior so we need we need to have this unity in the church first so B community in our homes We've got to have it. We talk to the boys and girls about this. And, and you know, I said a couple of lighthearted things. But you know what? Some of our kids live in homes that are tough. Some of our kids live in homes in which I don't know if I would have survived if I had been there. Their homes are tough. I'm just saying it, y'all. Y'all can challenge me later, say, Pastor, you're wrong. But listen, in Ephesians 5, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. When we talked about this unity in Ephesians, and I skipped it, it talks about the body. It says Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and we are the elbow, hands, fingers, toes, eyes, and ears. But then here, we, we, hear, this, we hear this exhortation from Paul in Ephesians, and he says... Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. If I'm at home with my kids and I'm loving my wife the way I am supposed to, my kids are going to observe that. They're going to learn respect, kindness, gentleness, patience, love. They're going to learn those things from me. Now, now if I'm not in the home, that's a little more challenging, but I can still be the dad who's doing that if my life is surrendered to Jesus Christ. But we've got to have this unity in our homes, right? So dad's got to be modeling Jesus, mom's got to be modeling Jesus, and then kids are going to go out and they're going to be much more likely, they're going to be much more likely not to get in that beef, not to be skipping school 100 days out of the school year, right? So we've got to do this. If you are the principal guardian of your home and you're not mom and you're not dad, you are the one who's going to model Jesus Christ to these kids. And so... I understand that dad's not in every home. I understand that sometimes mom and dad aren't in every home. And I'm not going to stand up here and preach like, like anybody's doing anything wrong. We're all hearing the word of God this morning, and we know. If you are someone who impacts young people's lives in any form or fashion, if your uncle, if your auntie, a couple of my kids asked me, Teenagers asked me last week, can I call you Uncle Charlie? And I thought that was hilarious, right? But, but he was being so serious, I didn't even smile. I said, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because that kid knows that I love him. Those kids know that you love them. They know that if you, that you really... So if you're that person, model Jesus Christ. Who knows, man? That kid, and I've seen this. We've seen this. You've seen this. That kid might be the one who takes Jesus home and models Jesus in his home. We've, we've seen our kids do that. I've seen other kids do that. 
Caucasian kids in suburbia can do it too. I was a youth pastor for 20 years. Y'all know that. Uh, amen. That's right. It ain't just in East Baltimore, y'all. It's not. Listen, if we're going to have community, if we're going to have unity in our homes, someone in the home has to take the mantle, take the torch, run with it. You might not even be in the home. You might be just that loving person that has impact on that home. Be that person. Because you'll send a kid, a husband, a wife, you'll send somebody back into that house with Jesus. Amen? Amen. We've got to have community in our home. Thirdly and lastly, we've got to have community in the workplace. Now, when I say community here, I'm saying in our workplaces, our schools, and our city. Here's what I thought about just, just this morning. Um, just this morning, I was talking to a guy. I don't know whether he knows Jesus or not, but he has huge influence in our community. And we had, we'll stand on the corner every now and then because he likes to challenge me. And he and I, we don't look the same when we stand on the corner and talk together. Like people slow down and look at us and wave and all that, right? Because we don't look the same. The dude's about six foot six. And we're having this conversation. He loves kids. He loves his city and he loves his community. And you know what he says? He says, Pastor, we, and he's not talking about me now. He says, we have to do better. We have to stop killing each other. Or he said, we need to buy homes and stay in our community. We need to educate ourselves. So this black man speaking to a white man, he's saying, Pastor, we, we need to do this. Now, look, he is not even particularly fond of me, but we have these great conversations. Not yet. Um, I, I know, right? But we have these great conversations because he understands community. He's in the community. He's doing things that build community, that build unity. I also know that he impacts the lives of a lot of young, uh, a lot of young kids in our community who want to be athletes, and I know he impacts their lives. I don't know whether he knows Jesus or not, but what I'm saying is he wants community. He wants unity. He particularly and mostly wants to see young black men, young black kids live and become part of their community and have an impact in their community and to have an impact in Baltimore City. That's what he wants to see. So, so, so he loves and he's modeling unity and community because he's, in, he's, he's walking up and down Barclay and Brentwood. He's out in front of the wreck with the kids. We do things, he does things that nobody knows about that build community and unity and probably saving kids' lives. We need to be out there doing it as well in Jesus' name. So the word of God says, for by wise guidance, you will wage war. I love this. If you guys haven't got down with the Proverbs in a while, maybe it's time. I love this. For by wise guidance, you will wage war. And in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Listen, our kids, you and I, we need a strategy before we go out there on Monday mornings. If you and I don't have, and look, man, I'm lazy in this I am, I am, wow, I'll be careful. Some of my spiritual disciplines and preparation for my week, I do not always do the things I ought to do. If you are living in Baltimore City or if you are loving people for Jesus' sake, you need to have a strategy. I need to have a strategy when I go out on Monday mornings. Sometimes, sometimes, I'm going to give a little credit. Sometimes my strategy needs to be revised and refined. <laughs> y'all laughing because y'all know who says that. 
But you need to, and, and you need to have an abundance of counselors. I always tell the kid, now, now you don't just ask anybody to be your counselor, right? And you don't just ask anybody to give you advice. And you don't just run out there and say, God will strategically place people in your, if you ask him, he will strategically place people in your life to give you spiritual counsel. But if we're going to have community in our workplace, if less people are going to die in our city this month, we must wage war strategically. We must be waging war strategically. And an abundance of counselors there is Vic. Some of our kids, a lot of our kids, they just need a little win this week. They just need a little win, you know? I always taught, we always pray here that no one will die from violence in our city today. Those are little wins. And every time I'm aware of a 24 hour period earlier this year, we had a whole week, seven days, when no one was shot to death or murdered in our city. That's only God. That's only God, y'all. And so, so, but some of our kids, they need a small win. They need a small win. Some kid will say, Pastor Charlie, you know what? He, as a matter of fact, he did. Uh, one of my kids is playing football, but he came all the way over to basketball to tell me, Pastor Charlie, you better get this one away from me. I already didn't punch him in his mouth. <laughs> he wanted to do the right thing. And he wanted me to see him do the right thing. Because he's good. I mean, kid can, I mean, he would knock him out. Kid can, I've seen him do it. Kid would knock him out. Pastor Charlie, you better get him away from me. What he was saying to me was, Pastor, watch me do the right thing. At least right now, this time. So some of our kids need a small win. Some days you need a small win. So my, a friend of mine, he's my coach. I have, an account of, I have a pastor, an accountability coach, uh, uh, a counselor, and a wife. Y'all wonder, y'all wonder why I haven't stepped off yet? I, I need a whole, I have an abundance of counselors in my life, but I need that. I need that. For by wise guidance, you will wage war. And therein lies the victory. And then he says, and therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as also you are doing. Sometimes these kids, they're 100 miles an hour with their words when they're beefing and fussing. Sometimes we are too. Oh my, oh my, preach. So an apostle says, build one another up with your words. Stop tearing people down. Mm, you saw what so-and-so did. I know you saw what so-and-so did at Food Pantry the other day. I know you saw it. They want a response. They want a response from you. Don't give them one. We're supposed to build one another up. Now he's encouraging the Thessalonian church because they're doing it, right? Just as you are also doing. Keep doing it, guys. Keep doing it. Lastly, lastly, he says it really well to the Philippian church, right? Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not only, do not only look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. If you just reached out to one person in this community that you did not previously know, and then you say, you know what, I'm going to pray about that and see what God does. God's going to do something. Just one person. 
I promise you, sometimes it starts with, hey, good morning. I'm going to tell you, when I first got here, y'all see some of the looks Diane and I got. I look people in the eye and I say, good morning. Now, I've received various responses to my good morning. <laughs> but, I, but I will. It dep- and it depends on how early in the morning it is, too. I get it, right? Some people need, co- I, hey, brother, can I get you a cup of coffee before? <laughs> Diane and I, a lot of more, most more, a lot of more, we don't even speak to, now that we live in the house alone, we don't even speak to each other until we've each had a cup of coffee. <laughs> So I get it. But no, most of the time, the response that I have received in Baltimore City is a smile or good morning or at least a nod because someone out there knows that I at least looked at them and said good morning. It could be that simple because God will arrange another divine appointment for you. Just do it. So we need to have community in our church, first and foremost, for the sake of the gospel, we see the unity of the Trinity. So, so God models this for us. God built us for relationships. God built us to do this, which means in the spirit, we are capable of doing this. You, someone in our community needs a small win today. Some kids need a small win in camp this week and people need Jesus in our city. That's the only way that we're going to turn back this tide of violence in our city. I always say go out and vote and go out and vote and every election vote in a primary, get out there and vote. Yes, yes, and yes, do it. Do what we're responsible to do. Be a good citizen, but I promise you is not, we are not Baltimore City, we are not going to turn back this evil except with Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.